Good afternoon. This is week 10 of our summer series about the gospel according to Jesus. Uh, today we're going to be talking about lost and found, looking at three parables that Christ told in response to a reaction that he was getting from uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and also to uh, give a uh, not only his disciples, but some of those who were listening to his preaching to give them a little bit of an insight into him and his character. Uh, before we do that, let's go ahead and, and do as we usually do, and that is to open with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as these uh, several weeks have passed by, it is becoming more evident that there's going to be a continued effort against your church uh, to get it to bend its knee, not to your lordship, but to the political manipulations of those who would like to see your church among the casualties of this pandemic. Uh, so today we pray for every leader in our churches around the world. We ask that you would give them wisdom and discernment as they lead their flock. We also ask, Father, that they, that they seek guidance on how they're to proceed from week to week in the conduct of worship. We pray that their hearts would be directed toward you and toward your truth above all others, that they would recognize where their true help and strength comes from, and that is from you. We ask that you would guard their coming and their going, that you would be their refuge and their peace. We pray that you would surround each one with wise counsel, that they would be humble and kind and patient and loving in both their actions and in their words. We pray that their faith in you as the Almighty God and as the not only the Prince of Peace but also the Great Physician would be unwavering. We pray also, Father, that you would continue to pave the way for strong and faithful men and women to serve your people. We ask you for the outpouring of your Spirit to raise up those who you have chosen to lead. We ask that you would make them fearless in the face of the evil that will come against them. And above all, Father, we ask that you keep us faithful in our calling in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. All right, this is the, the, uh, we're going to be looking at three parables today. I wanted to get started by, by uh, sort of looking at, if you will, the, our modern approach to evangelism. Uh, I know that all of you, at, at, uh, in some way, kind of keep up with what's going on. We are, after all, an evangelical church, uh, or we uh, have, have used that as our name, and, and perhaps that name has evolved over time in terms of what it means to individual members of the congregation. But... Uh, uh, what I wanted to do is to, is to look at what we have become in terms of evangelism. And unfortunately, in that regard, I think most people would agree that we have gotten to the point in modern evangelism where it's very prescriptive. Uh, we, we've talked about lordship and non-lordship doctrines that have, have evolved in the church. Uh, we know that, that those who are of the no-lordship doctrine have a very simple prescriptive relief for spiritual pain. Uh, oftentimes that's interpreted as, as saying the, the sinner's prayer and uh, uh, asking God not only to forgive you, but also uh, that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
it's, it's one of those kind of a things sometimes you go to the doctor and you tell him you've got some ache or some pain uh, and doesn't ask many questions, uh, doesn't go through a lot of examination and so forth. He gives you a, a pill, some sort of prescriptive remedy for whatever you've described to him and then says take two of these and call me if it doesn't feel better or if it doesn't get better. And unfortunately, again, sometimes our evangelism efforts have been pretty much in that vein. Uh, we might, uh, obviously, uh, the, the, the Word tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And, and preachers, for the most part, uh, preach the Bible, preach the Word of God, and hoping that uh, uh, someone will be convic convicted of their sins by the power of the Spirit and that they will, in fact, uh, uh, come to saving grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that, that coming to saving grace is not a stale transaction. Sometimes we treat it as a stale transaction when we refer to it as saying the sinner's prayer uh, and then asking God to forgive you. Uh, that's, a, that's a relatively stale transaction in terms of what it requires from the individual. It also implies, too, that this, it's a stale transaction from the Savior's point of view in that he says, you know, the, 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 the invitation is made, and then whether you accept or don't accept the invitation, he's kind of like a, a divine accountant in that he'll either mark you down in the winner's or the loser's bracket, depending upon your answer to that call. But it's much more than that. Uh, the Bible tells us that, that God has a very deep and profound interest in whether you're going to accept or reject the call. Uh, he does more than just keep books. Uh, he weeps over the lost. He celebrates whenever one is saved. And of course, his pain is profound when one uh, of, 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 of those who have been called reject the call. His joy is full, however, when a sinner repents. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we're going to be talking about that in the context of three parables that uh, appear in Luke, the 15th chapter. These three parables offer us, although they do, the first two that we're going to talk about, do not look at these, at, at uh, uh, what we have been looking at up to date, and that is around the doctrine of, of uh, being called by Christ into to being a servant in, in His kingdom. It doesn't mention lordship in those, in those two, or, or there's no implication of lordship in those two. The third one, however, there is a very pronounced and, and eloquent look at lordship when, when one accepts that they, have, uh, that they are sinners and the only way to be reconciled is in fact to ask for forgiveness and then be obedient to, uh, to the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at in 2 Peter 3.9, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn over there very quickly. This is a verse that, that tells us that uh, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some would count slackness, but He is long-suffering toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So again, He, he is not an accountant uh, who is standing by uh, with His divine authority and who is going to uh, indicate the winners and the losers. He doesn't have a big W and a big L in His, in his logbook, and uh, He just sort of automatically, uh, depending upon whatever your answer might be, or, or perhaps maybe even what his judgment might be, assign you to be either a winner or a loser. 
Uh, we know that if we are called, the, the Word tells us is that the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit does not fail. And so God, in His infinite wisdom through Christ, His Son, and our Savior, has chosen, chosen believers are those who will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ before the beginning of the world, before the beginning of time. And so when that call is made, He knows who is going to be a, uh, one who accepts the call or one who might reject the call. And He's not, as, the, as uh, 2 Peter tells us here, He's not one who is going to be hasty about pronouncing judgment. He doesn't want any of those who are called to reject Him. He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I would imagine that, that most of us uh, in our younger years when we were, uh, of course, uh, considering, if you will, joining the church, whether it was a Baptist church, Methodist church, Presbyterian church, or whatever church it might have been, they all have different evangelistic methods and uh, models that they use and I would imagine that, that most of us have received the call, if you will, an altar call in some form uh, several times before we actually accepted that. And, and of course, we're, we're encouraged, uh, perhaps when we, we've got those that we love, those that we care about, they might be sons or daughters or, or other loved ones, and that uh, sometimes we think that perhaps... Uh, their lives have gotten kind of out of control and we wish that they were more into the church and that they would in fact become uh, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but at, 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 it may be in, in mid, their mid-teens or it may be in their late 20s and they still haven't. Uh, sometimes that causes great despair and concern on the parts of parents who, who long for that to happen, who want it to happen. And they're very anxious about that. And they regret that it haven't ha hasn't happened. But they can receive solace in what the, the, uh, the writer of, of Second Peter here, what Peter is saying in uh, the third chapter in the ninth verse, and that is that God is long-suffering. Uh, he, he is not willing that any should perish. And so He is going to abide with those. He's going to continue to call. And, uh, and that, that calling at some point in time uh, will have to be answered. The setting for today's lesson, again, is in Luke, the 15th chapter. The first verse in the 15th chapter, if you have that open there, it says, all, Then all of the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, so the setting is, is that Jesus has continued to preach and teach, and of course he's being followed around by what the, uh, the Bible says are the deplorables. It's the, the tax gatherers and the sinners, uh, these deplorable and undesirable people, and they're deplorable and undesirable from the perspective of the scribes and Pharisees simply because they ignore the law. And of course the scribes and the Pharisees, that, they were all about the law. And so when these, these deplorables, the tax gatherers and the sinners, and perhaps there were some Gentiles in that group too, but they were all following. It's an interesting use of the, of the verb there in uh, the 15th chapter. In that first sentence, in the, in, in the first verse, he says, the sinners drew near to him. 
Now that the Greek form of that drew near to him is a is a uh, sort of a they followed him or continually came to him. It was implying that there was a steady stream of these deplorables and undesirables who were constantly coming to Jesus and seeking him. And of course they were doing that simply because they found him to be a compassionate listener and receiver of those who were sinners. And of course, as even he says, the, the well don't need a physician. It's the sick who do. And so he was all about the, those who were sick in the world, those who were sinners. And of course, when, when uh, uh, the, the Pharisees rejected and, and uh, uh, despised and other ways cast out those uh, who were tax gatherers and sinners and deplorables and undesirables as they saw them, they were troubling to the Pharisees, so they tried to push them away and, and to denigrate them. But of course, Christ rebuked them for their self-righteous attitudes about coming to Christ. Now, the first parable, if you will find it in the fourth verse, it begins in chapter 15, verse 4. The parable reads, What man of you having a hundred sheep if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. Again, it's, uh, the, the metaphor there, of course, is that uh, the, the man who, uh, the shepherd, is, is the Christ. The sheep, obviously, are those who have been given to him by God. And if he loses one, he's going to go and he's going to, to, to leave the 99 and go and look for that one. Now, of course, when he says, what man among you, uh, implies that the, the compassionate behavior that he's going to describe is something that would be uh, expected even of a common farmer or sheep farmer. Taking care of those sheep was also a matter of love for the sheep. It just wasn't an accountability thing. It was more than just one more sheep. It had to do with how much the sheep herder loved those sheep. In one of the, well, in, in several occasions uh, while living in, in Europe, and especially in Germany, uh, sheep herders were still, are still very common there, even in the uh, somewhat urban areas that, that uh, shepherds uh, will have a herd of sheep and they'll take them throughout the town and, and uh, through the highways and byways, letting them graze where they may. Uh, and of course, they know exactly where how many sheep they have and where all those sheep are at any one time it's a it is a calling it's not a vocation it's a calling and so the shepherds uh, really take care of those sheep the point that Jesus is trying to make in this parable of course is not only, is not only to, to point out how much the shepherd loved the sheep but also the joy that the shepherd has when he recovers that sheep, the lost sheep, or when he finds that one who has, has drifted away, or, and then he, kind of, he brings him back home again. He's, and he says in that verse 7, I say to you that likewise there would be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over 99 
just persons who need no repentance. So there's great joy in heaven. Now again, that, that particular parable, parable doesn't speak at all to the nature of uh, the relationship between the sheep and the, and the shepherd. So it doesn't speak to that lordship or the, uh, or the uh, obedience required by the sheep to be a part of uh, the flock. Likewise, the next parable that he speaks about uh, is somewhat very similar. He says, and this one begins in the eighth verse, he says, and of what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I lost. And likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Very similar. Here, where you, the, the metaphor is based around a woman uh, who has lost a, a, a silver coin. Of course, she's talking about, or he's talking here about a denarius, which is about a day's wage. So she had ten of them. 10 days wages, uh, so the loss would be a significant one-tenth of, 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 of the money that she had. So it, it's not an insignificant fund, uh, uh, amount of money. So it stands to reason that she would be intent on finding it, but here it, it talks about how diligently she was, and how earnestly and how urgently, urgently she sought that lost coin. And, then, and then here talking about light, she lights a lamp. Uh, perhaps it, it, it was dark inside the house and she needed the, the extra light to make sure that she could see in all the crooks and the crannies. She swept the house and she searched carefully until she found it. And when she found it, she called her friends just like the shepherd to rejoice and to have them rejoice with her in the finding the peace which she had lost. That tenth verse there, it says, Likewise, I say to you, there is a joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents doesn't say the angels are rejoicing. It just says that God in the midst of the angels are the angels are there in heaven to see God rejoice when one sinner who is lost has been found. Again, it gives a, a sort of an open window to the, to the character of God. It's an open window into the heart of God. The third parable that we're going to look at today, of course, is the one that has probably been told probably more than any other parable in the Bible, and this has to do with the prodigal son. The prodigal son is a very interesting story. And we'll get that. Let me, let me first, I, I, I forgot about those two verses. And it has to do again with this, this window into the heart of God, and it talks about what I wanted to mention was about what the Pharisees obviously did not know about Jesus. They thought they could, uh, were able to read his character. They ascribed certain, certain things to him which were not virtues. Uh, so they thought they were, were pretty astute uh, observers of who they were in fact harassing, the, the, the one that they found uh, detestable and, and uh, that they had no belief in in terms of who he said he was and what he came to do. But in Ezekiel 33, 11, if you have your Bibles, flip over there real quick. But this gives us an idea of the kind of God uh, that we serve. And he says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? So all of the things that the house of Israel did against God, uh, he, he had no uh, evil desires about their death. He wanted them to turn to him, that he could be their God, so that he, in fact, could uphold the promises that he had originally had made with the house of Israel. I will be your God, you will be my people. So Ezekiel 33 just gives us an answer, uh, an idea, of course, is that God, he takes no delight in, he takes no pleasure in those who reject him. Now, Isaiah 62, 5. Very similar. This verse says, For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Very interesting metaphor there, again. And this is certainly not the first time, nor the only time, uh, where uh, the relationship of, of uh, Christ or, or God to his people is that of a bride and a bridegroom. We see that much more in the New Testament, but certainly it is there. And a, when we look at that relationship and, and how much a husband cares for his bride, then you see how much God, in fact, cares for his uh, children. Now, getting back to Luke 15, looking at the third and final of the parables, this, of course, as I said, was the parable of the prodigal son. If you look there in the 11th verse of the 15th chapter, he says, And then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. Now, one of the things that, that, that when we read the, the prodigal son, one of the things that we normally think about is what that first son, the youngest son, and the atrocious behavior he had toward his father. He, he wanted what he thought belonged to him. Now, while he, he thought he deserved that ahead of the death of his father, which is normally when the inheritance would be distributed, the Bible doesn't tell us other than the, the implication that he was a headstrong and perhaps uh, a young man who wanted to live life when he was young, uh, as, as the old country song, live fast, love hard, and die young, and leave beautiful memories. Well, obviously that did not happen to the prodigal son. The whole dynamic in this particular parable is different, obviously, from the first two. We, we have a very close look at human behavior, not only of the son, but also the father, and also the other brother. Now, as we go through it, I'm not going to read all of the parable. You have, you've read it again and again and again, and you've heard other people read it again and again and again. You, you know what happened. Give me my stuff. I'm going, I'm going to leave home, and I'm going to go and have a good time. And his dad did not question that. He gave him what was coming to him and saw him. With great sadness, saw him leave and go away. He went into a foreign country, and there he squandered all of the inheritance that he had. Ultimately found himself broke, living with the, with the pigs in a pigsty. And it was at that time that he had a, a blinding flash of the obvious, if you will, and that he needed to repent of his ways, which he did. He had a repentant faith. He wanted to, he realized the mistake he had made. He decided that he needed to go home to apologize for his, to his father, ask his forgiveness, and then ask him to work as a hired hand on his estate. 
So he had not only a repentant faith, but he decided... He, he was going to surrender and obey his father. Whatever his father told him to do, he was willing to do that. So when we, when we go back to that idea of no lordship, lordship, you can see here that this fits very closely and in accord with the idea of those that come to Christ must come to him not only repentant, but in a total surrender and willingness to obey Christ as the Lord of their life. And so as, the, as the, the prodigal son comes back, he sees that his father, not only his father sees him coming, his father runs to greet him, welcomes him with open arms. The son never really even got to tell him what he was willing to do. The father killed a fatted calf, had a great big party, etc., and, and then was given back uh, the fine robes and, and so forth. And I'm sure was forgiven the inheritance that he had squandered. And then there's a dramatic turn in the parable. The other brother, the older brother, who had stayed home and had worked on the estate, looked and saw what his younger brother was getting in response to uh, his unfaithful service to his father. And while he had been faithful, none of that had been given to him. So he, of course, the, the, the ugly specter of... of Envy raised its head and it says in the 25th verse now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants and asked what are these things men the servant said to him your brother is coming because he has received him safe and sound your father has killed a fatted calf but the older boy was angry and would not go in. And therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. And his father said, But as soon as the son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry, and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. And of course, the, the, again, the, the, the point of the parable is uh, the joy of the father in receiving back that which was lost. The son who was there and who had decided to leave and go away and and squander his inheritance, came back both repentant and willing to surrender and obey. Now, a couple of weeks ago, in our lesson we talked about, uh, in, that, in, in the book, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, about the young man who, who uh, found out in his Christian journey that uh, uh, at the gates of heaven is also the entrance to hell. And of course, uh, while we didn't talk any, about any specifics that day, uh, other than the fact that, that Judas was one of those that immediately sprang to mind as someone who was standing, literally standing at the gates of heaven. And as you might say, in sport, he snatched defeat from the hands of victory. And of course, the oldest son here can likewise be identified as someone who, who found the entrance to hell at the gates of heaven. He was, a, he was a, a young man, the older brother there, who it became obvious was, was not interested in his father, 
he was interested in what ultimately being dutiful and servant, uh, being a servant to his father was going to get him. He had no love and compassion for his brother nor his father, and as a result of that, he was not of God. And so that's, that, of course, is a, is a lesson to all of us as we look at not only these three parables that we saw today, but the joy of, of uh, uh, those who come to Christ, regardless of when they come to Christ, are the circumstances in which they come to Christ is the joy that we should, we should feel along with him in those that have decided to answer the call and to come back and be repentant for perhaps what they have done uh, and also be willing not only to be uh, a servant, but also to, to surrender totally and to be obedient to the call that is placed on your life, just as the call as all of us have had placed on our life and what we are willing to do in response to that. So uh, that will that's all of that for today, and then we will, of course, be back again next week, Lord willing, uh, and it will be our 11th week. Uh, I'm not real sure yet what the topic will be, but I will... I'll decide that perhaps uh, to, tomorrow, and we'll talk about that then. Let me close with prayer. Gracious Father, again, we thank you uh, for your word of truth. We thank you, Father, that it contains uh, everything that we need to know to live and to live life fully and abundantly. And Father, we ask that you would be with us this week as we go and come, uh, that we would be faithful to your calling on each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.